morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your presence through your spirit here among us. Help us to desire that from our hearts, with our minds, with our whole beings. To know you, to love you, to live in your presence, to have you indwell us, that your grace and your love could flow not only to us, but through us. Help us to recognize the goodness of that. And I pray that your spirit would guide now in our thinking and our speaking as we hear your word, Father, that your spirit would use it in each of our hearts and do the work that you want to do. May we be receptive to that, I pray. In your name, amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're jumping back into 1 Corinthians. Some of you say, what? (laughs) Why are we starting at chapter 12? Well, you'll remember that last summer in June, July, and August, uh, we began this sermon series and we went through the first 11 chapters. And now we're picking it up and we're going to continue and complete the letter to the Corinthians. Our theme is United. And here is our theme verse from chapter 1. Let's say it all out loud together. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Be perfectly united. And so Paul is exhorting, he's urging the Corinthian believers to be united, and he needed to talk to them about this because they were anything but united. They had come out of the pagan culture around them and brought with them into the church some of these ways of thinking, patterns of behavior, and Paul is confronting those. Now, uh, we've done an intro to this uh, whole series back in June, and you can go back online and watch it if you want. I'm not going to re-preach all those sermons this morning. We're going to jump right back into the text, and this uh, is how one commentator described that Corinthian culture in which this church existed. He wrote, the ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual, the merchant who made his gain by all and every means, the man of pleasure, surrendering himself to every lust, the athlete, steeled to every bodily exercise and proud of his physical strength. These are the true Corinthian types. In a word, the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desire. Well, you can imagine with that kind of individualism, that kind of competition, that kind of upward mobility, that there, w- there was divisions, there was disunity in the church. Here is how another person summed up what's been going on in the church in Corinth. He wrote, Because the Corinthian Christians were behaving in response to the flesh rather than the spirit, they quarreled. They became factious. They took each other to court. They fell back into immoral and idolatrous practices. They corrupted marriage relationships, abused the Christian liberty, and became self-centered, overconfident, and worldly. How's that for a resume? Now, like I say, you can go back. We've, we've taught on most of those things, and you can go back and catch up there if you want. But what was so tragically ironic is that 
the place where their disunity seemed to be most obvious was when they came together to worship. And we already talked about uh, chapter 11 in communion where they were coming together and being selfish and completely insensitive to the other believers who were with them. And uh, we're going to begin a new section here, chapters uh, 12 through 14, where he's going to address the issue of how they are, they are um, exalting, overvaluing certain spiritual gifts and devaluing and demeaning others. They were creating kind of a spiritual status stratification as if some, some were elite and others didn't matter and it was causing real disunity within the church. So what does it mean to be spiritual? He, he starts off by talking about spiritual things, uh, spiritual gifts, gifts of the spirit, grace gifts. What does it mean to be spiritual? So even when it came to spiritual things, the Corinthians were uh, dragging with them into the church aspects of their culture that they had experienced before. And so they, they had grown up in, the, in Corinth, and uh, what was experienced a lot in Corinth were these Roman, these Greek-Roman mystery religions. He, he addresses it here. Take a look. Chapter 12, first three verses. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols, pagan idolatry. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So he references the fact that they had come out of pagan idolatry, and that was all mixed up with these mystery religions. And a lot of, of these mystery religions had to do with working yourself up into an altered state in order to have some kind of experience of communion, of union with the god or gods. And they did this in several ways. They did it uh, with maybe drinking a whole lot, or they did it with frenzied dancing and music to work themselves up into a lather. Uh, sometimes it was uh, sexual orgies. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes it was extreme asceticism. But in all these different methods, the goal was to be able to have an experience of union with deity, and that was most often expressed with ecstatic language, what we call speaking in tongues, all right? And, and to express, oh, I've experienced this, this divine connection, it was evidenced or proved through speaking in tongues. And so this was brought into the worship service at Corinth, and they were exalting this one gift way above the others. And saying, oh, the really spiritual, those who are really spiritual are those who are experiencing this kind of um, uh, union with God expressed through spirit, uh, speaking in tongues. But Paul's going to say, no, that's not what it's about. He's going to say, here's the nature of spirituality. You are spiritual because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that spirituality is evidenced because you call Jesus Lord. That means you submit yourself, all of who you are, to his rule in your life. So if you are submitting yourself to Jesus, who is Lord, then you are spiritual. 
So spirituality isn't about all these uh, feelings are okay and great, but it's not just about a spiritual experience. That's kind of a self-centered, self-oriented kind of worship. And unfortunately, it persists a little bit to this day. There are uh, parts of the Christian church where there's a bit of a stratification of spiritual experience, and there's a belief that you come to faith, but you don't um, receive the Spirit until later, and that's evidenced by speaking in tongues, and there's kind of those who haven't quite arrived yet, and those who have arrived, creating a spiritual stratification. Paul says, no, that's not what it's about. It's about submitting to the Lord. In fact, Paul, in Romans 12, is going to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to make, he's going to have a little uh, list of spiritual gifts in Romans 12, just like here in 1 Corinthians 12, but he prefaces his little paragraph on spiritual gifts, gifts by saying to us that we need to consider ourselves with sober judgment. Now, sober judgment is the polar opposite to ecstatic experience, okay? And in fact, in our uh, discussion here of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, he's going to kind of redirect them away from these uh, kind of miraculous, spectacular gifts and try to help them to understand that the more excellent way is to love. It, it is is submitting yourself to the Lord and being used by him to do what is best for others, to encourage and strengthen and build up their faith to be a conduit of God's grace to others. Th this is really what's important. He's, he's going to lead us in that direction. So let's continue talking about what it means to be spiritual. First of all, many gifts, one source. Many gifts, one source. By the way, um, if it's true that uh, real spirituality is submitting ourselves to the Lord and serving others in love, then the best measure of spirituality isn't spiritual gifts, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things are what demonstrates the presence of the Spirit in us. In fact, we have in our uh, culture, unfortunately, several examples recently of men who were very gifted. They were very gifted. They had spiritual gifts galore and were able to start large churches and church planting movements, and yet, because they weren't gentle, because they weren't kind, because they didn't mature in the fruit of the Spirit, they ended up losing those ministries. And so, really, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is a better measure of maturity, of spiritual maturity and spirituality than gifts. The gifts, nonetheless, are very important. And Paul says there are many gifts, but one source. He's going to emphasize the source of gifts. In fact, he'll say, basically, that the giver, the source, is more important than the gift. Look at the next couple of verses, starting with verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So there's all kinds of gifts, there's all kinds of abilities, there's all kinds of impact, but all of it comes from the same source. And that same source is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He references all of them here. By the way, God is the ultimate example of unity and diversity. God is one but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God the Father gave us the Son who went to the cross and took upon himself the punishment and penalty for sin that you and I deserve so that through faith in him we can have forgiveness of sin and a restored relationship with God. And now the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus has given us the Spirit. And so he's filled our lives with his very presence through the Spirit, and the Spirit gives the gifts. And as receivers of that gift, we are, to, we are to be givers ourselves and to pass it on to others. But the giver is more important than the gift. We get kind of obsessed about spiritual gifts and trying to figure out, but the giver is more important than the gift. So one of the applications from this sermon will not be go out and take a spiritual gifts inventory. That's not one of the applications. Instead, a better application would be get a fresh encounter with the giver. The giver is more important than the gift. Most of us need a fresh encounter with the giver to seek and to know him. And remember, Paul talked a lot about this. Uh, He said, we're not under the law anymore. What defines us is the law of the spirit of life. And we are to set our minds on the spirit and things of the spirit. The spirit is to govern our thoughts and our thinking. We're to walk with the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. And as we do that, the spirit works through us. The spiritual gifts activate and are exercised, are practiced, and have an impact. But it begins with knowing the giver, pursuing the giver. I remember when I was seven or eight, my brother, who is 14 years older than I am, gave me a 22 caliber rifle. And I didn't know how to load it. I didn't know how to aim it. I didn't know how to shoot it. And I really knew nothing about hunting. But my brother was skilled in all those things and passionate about them. So anyway, during my teen years, uh, you know, we went hunting. That's kind of what, what we did. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a little secret. Hunting was okay. I mean, it was fun, fun I guess, to shoot squirrels and rabbits and groundhog and all that kind of stuff. But you, but you know what I really loved about hunting? I was glad for the gift and I was glad to go hunting. But the reason was I wanted to be with my brother. For me, it was all about being with my brother. That's, that was the awesome part. And sometimes when we get focused on trying to figure out spiritual gifts, we, we got to remember it's about, it's about the presence of the Spirit in us. It's about knowing the giver. And so although there are many gifts, remember the source. The giver is more important than the gift. By the way, uh, that word for spiritual gifts is charisma. All right, one source, and the root of that word is charis. We're part of the charis fellowship. What does charis mean? Good, grace. It means grace, and so these are grace gifts uh, that are given to us, that are bestowed upon us from the giver. They're gifts of grace, not because we earned or merited or deserved them. They're gifts of grace that are bestowed upon us. Do you know the source? Do you know the giver? Are you pursuing and seeking after him? I would encourage you, even before trying to figure out what's my spiritual gift, make sure you're pursuing the giver. That's first one. Many gifts, one source. Secondly, many gifts, one purpose. 
There are many different gifts, but there really is only one purpose, one source and one purpose. We'll pick this up at verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There you have the purpose, right? For the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Notice how he's emphasizing and re-emphasizing the source, the Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Spiritual gifts, as we just read, are an expression of the presence of the Spirit in the believer's life. If you are a Christ follower, if you put your faith in Jesus... The Spirit of God indwells you. And because the Spirit is present, you have at least a spiritual gift, but probably multiple ones at varying degrees. And interesting, we were talking about this in our pastoral leadership team and realized that, that some people have seen, looking back at their life, that certain gifts were more prominent at one time or another, and God had developed others in them, kind of revealed and exposed and used them at other times. But if you are a believer, you do have spiritual gifts because the Holy Spirit is in you. The giver lives inside of you. It's interesting, uh, Paul isn't the only one who talks about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Peter talks about spiritual gifts, and when Peter talks about spiritual gifts, he focuses on the purpose, what we're to do with spiritual gifts and why. And so this is what uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4. Above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. So that's kind of the context is love each other. He's going to say something about hospitality, and then he talks about spiritual gifts. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here's how you love each other. Again, focusing on the primacy of love. One way we love each other is by exercising, is by using, is putting into practice our spiritual gifts. But notice that. Do you see that? Using your gift is a way that God dispenses his grace to each of us. So God's grace is the most awesome thing, and he uh, provides that directly, but he also gives his love and grace through each of us to the others. So if you are choosing not to use your spiritual gifts, not to submit yourself uh, to the Lord and what he's doing to the church, then you are withholding God's grace from me and from others. You're denying the love of God. You're, you're, you're halting the love of God from flowing through each one of us to all of us the way that God intended. We, are, we, have, a, we have stewardship responsibilities. Hey, listen, do I have significance? Every one of us can say, hey, God has made me a steward of his infinite grace. I get, to, I get to be a steward of God's grace. How, how are you passing that grace on? Well, it's by, using your, it's by using your spiritual gifts. And there are all kinds of spiritual gifts. But if we choose not to practice them for one reason or another, then we are withholding from the body of Christ the grace that God wants to flow through each one of us. 
we see here that the purpose is clear. It's for the common good. It's not meant for self-consumption. It's not selfish or self-oriented. Spiritual gifts are meant to um, strengthen the faith of the body of Christ. So maybe one way to get at your spiritual gift is to just ask, how is God using me to strengthen the faith of another person? How is God using me to show the grace of God to another person? Not just people in this building, but also in the community. And if you say, wow, I, I, can, I can see a way that God is using me to encourage and strengthen the faith of others so that when they go through tough times, uh, they can hold on to Jesus. Or I can see how God's allowing his grace to flow through me to another person. If it's happening, you can kind of bet, oh, that, that's, a, that, that's a spiritual gift, I bet. Pa Paul names a bunch of spiritual gifts. Uh, the New Testament, I think, names about 22. There, there are, that's not complete or exhaustive. Tom Julian, before the service, said uh, to me, Kip, your spiritual gift is Mary. You're not employing your spiritual gift enough to sing for us. So he was admonishing me to use my spiritual gift, my wife. Well, I can only say amen to that, right? Amen. So, but you're dying for a definition, I know it, because you're American. So you need a definition. You got your pens and your pencils ready. You're just waiting for me to give you a definition of spiritual gifts. And I'm quite reticent to do that. Because I think we tend to take something that is spiritual and organic and relational and a, a touch mysterious, and we want to define it and control it. Right? It's the way we do things. Um, but I'm going to crumble under the pressure and give you a definition anyway. But I'm, I'm, go I'm going to reduce it down to its bare bones minimum, minimum, okay? It won't take you long to write this down. He here's my definition for a spiritual gift. A God-given ability for service. A God-given ability for service. A God-given capacity. A God-given endowment for Christian service in and through the church. If you want to really focus on the purpose, you could say it this way. A God-given ability by which we dispense God's grace to others, strengthening their faith. Here's a longer version, but there is a bit of it that I like. Spiritual gifts are special capacities bestowed on believers to equip them to minister supernaturally to others, especially to each other. It is a supernatural work of the Spirit in and through us, all right? I like the idea of recognizing that it's a supernatural work of the Spirit through us. Well, that begs the question then, what's the relationship between natural gifts and abilities and talents and spiritual gifts. Now, when I was younger, I always thought of uh, spiritual gifts kind of like the fairy godmother in Cinderella. Bing! Bing! All right, you have bare feet. Bing! Now you've got glass slippers. You know, it wasn't there, and now it is. And you know what? The Spirit can do that. In fact, some of these sign gifts that we just read, it had to have been that way, all right? Uh, that, that the Spirit gave uh, and empowered, uh, bestowed a gift. But a lot of the other gifts we read uh, sound to us like maybe it's the Spirit taking abilities and gifts and talents that he's providentially put into our life, and now he's energizing them and redirecting them for his purposes and for the church, for the good of the church. So this is how I would like to say it. <clears throat> God may use and cultivate innate abilities 
or give people brand new capacities. It is entirely up to him. It's God's business. You know what our business is? Our business is not to distinguish, oh, is that a gift or a talent or an ability, and how do I slice and dice and figure that all out? Our responsibility is to submit all of who we are to God. My gifts, my abilities, my talents, who you've made me to be, my personality, my experiences, my background, take it all and use it for the good of the church. May your grace flow through me. That's all I want. And if we have that attitude, uh, our spiritual gifts are going to be uh, enacted and energized. I know some of you aren't happy with that. But that's where we're going to leave it. Now, another thing we're not super happy about in this paragraph is the list of gifts that Paul... Come on, Paul. You're just trying to cause problems. All right? Because he, he lists here uh, a bunch of rather um, dramatic, miraculous uh, sign gifts. You know, later, uh, he's going to write the book of Romans, and uh, what, what he writes in Romans 12, all the gifts that he lists, we're all cool with, you know? But... This set is like, whoa, Paul, what were you thinking? Why did, why did you write these? Here's why he wrote those gifts. It's because those were the ones they were dealing with. Those were the ones that were causing conflict and controversy in their setting. Those were the ones they were abusing. And so he's, he writes about them. And I think we have good reason uh, to be a little skeptical uh, about some of these sign gifts. We recognize that they were necessary. Remember, 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest uh, New Testament texts. It's very early. And so, I mean, Peter and Paul and maybe other, the, others of the apostles went through Corinth. I mean, they were still getting the whole church thing going, and Scripture hadn't been written yet. And so there needed to be a sign gifts to authenticate the messenger and the message. All right? So there was a good reason for them. But uh, we don't need that necessarily anymore because we've got the message. Okay? We've got the message. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm a little uh, suspicious that uh, those sign gifts are given to individuals, but don't hear me say that I don't believe God does miracles or I don't believe God heals. Absolutely not. I believe God is real and powerful and present today. And he's acting for the good of the church and the world, and he does that sometimes in mighty, powerful ways. And I believe that we should come to him with expectation and anticipation of what he can do. In fact, we do that as a church, only we follow James 5. If you're sick, call the elders to come and anoint you and pray over you in faith and expectation that God will heal. We believe that God heals, and we believe that God does miracles. I remember one time years ago, there was a gal in our adult Bible fellowship who was pregnant, and she was only about halfway through the pregnancy or so and began having contractions. And that was a bit early. And so it was, it was a critical situation I remember some of the elders and some of us from the Adult Bible Fellowship went together to KCH to her room. She was in the hospital room, and, you know, they had that little machine that was, that was showing the contractions, and there was this regular contractions coming. So we, we gathered around her, we anointed her with oil, we held hands, and we prayed, and we prayed for her. And when we were done praying, we went over, and it had no contractions. And she didn't have another contraction until full term, and the baby came healthy. Can God do that? Yes, he can. All right? But, um, but even in our discussion here, as I said before, Paul's going to kind of steer them away from these gifts that are causing so much controversy among them and say, hey, there's a better way. You need to think about choosing to do what's going to be helpful to the body. It's the, the unity of the body is, is the most important thing here. And Paul, of course... 
himself said he spoke in tongues, but he said, we got to choose to do what's, when we're together what's best for the body, all right? And so um, many gifts, many gifts, but one purpose, that purpose is to build up and to edify, to strengthen the body. It's not just about me having some kind of a personal experience. I'm all for feeling, I cried this morning <laughs> singing in our worship time because it touched my heart. So to think of the glorious truth that his mercy is more than our many sins. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, we want to employ them for the good of the body, the whole church. All right, many uh, gifts, one giver, one source. Many gifts, one goal or, or one purpose. And finally, many gifts, one-ness. <laughs> In other words, unity. Okay, unity or interdependence. Many gifts, one-ness. And this is where Paul uh, gives the glorious illustration of the body to, to um, illustrate the, the importance of diversity, the necessity of diversity, and yet the beautiful glory of the church is all this diversity uh, in, in unity, in oneness, like a body. So like it or not, you are connected to each other. All right? There's no getting out of it. Uh, look at these first uh, verses there, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Here's the truth. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. Doesn't matter what your religious background was. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were baptized by the Spirit. That means you were indwelt by the Spirit of God, and he joins you to his body, the church. And he gave you a part to play. He gave you something to be able to contribute to the health, the wholeness, the mission, the purpose of the body. So like it or not, you are connected. And we're only as effective as a church, as the body of Christ, when each person does his or her part. We're only uh, going on all cylinders when everyone is contributing their part. So there should be no inferiority complex. No, well, the church doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. I, I can't do this and I can't do that. So I guess I don't have anything to offer. The church doesn't need me. Nope. No room for that. Look at verse 14 and following. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. There are many, many parts, but they all have the same value. They've all been chosen by God and connected to the body for a purpose. Hey, you've been watching the NCAA tournament? Now, think about this for a second. What does it take to make that really happen? And what I mean is the game and all that surrounds it. You know, you look at the team out there, and they've got all different sizes and types. I mean, like Purdue has this really short dude, and woo, he's all over the place passing, and you, know, you can't keep up with him. But they've also got some skyscrapers who don't even have to jump to dunk the ball. They got some chunkers. Their job is simply to set picks, you know, and they got some guys who are out there just to play defense, you know, don't shoot, 
just play defense, all right? And, uh, and it doesn't matter their size, their shape, they're all contributing, but they're not the only ones. You got a coach, it won't work without the coach. What about the guys on the bench? Yeah! They're going crazy when the three-point goes in, you know? And do you think they're a part of what's happening, that they aren't uh, playing with those guys during the practices and making the team all they can be? Just because they're not on the floor doesn't make them any less a part of the team. Do they get a ring if they win? Yeah, they do. What about, what about the kid? What about the kid that comes out of hat, you know, during the timeouts and, you know, wipes the sweat off the floor? Is that an important job? Yeah, if he doesn't do it, someone's going to break an ankle, you know? And so he's got an important thing. And can you imagine watching an NCAA game without the fans? That'd be all, yeah, boring. That'd be terrible. Even the, because I'm not, I'm not, you're still a part of making the whole thing what it is. It wouldn't be the same without the fans, man. What about the band? You know, you can go on and on and on, all right? Many, 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 many parts, but all of them important and all of them necessary. And that's the way it is in the church. So there should be no inferiority complex just because I can't do this or that. No, God has chosen you, made you a part of the body, and you have value because of that. There can also be no superiority complex. No superior. I don't need the others. I have everything I need. Ah, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are interdependent and interconnected, and those parts that are um, visible and strong need to take care of the parts that are hidden and weak, because guess what? Those hidden and weak parts are also absolutely indispensable to the functioning of the body. We put, we, we put a lot of time into hair. Some of us do. <laughs> but the heart, which is hidden, is far more important, right? And, and so we have to consider that. And, and, and if something goes wrong with one of those uh, weaker, maybe more hidden parts, it still affects the whole body. We are interconnected and interdependent. We need each other. There is no, I have everything that I need. Now, um, we in America, because of our affluence, can have the illusion of independence. I got everything I need. It's a pure illusion, folks. It's wrong. We, we just heard about um, our, our um, brothers and sisters of Christ in Cuba, they don't have an illusion of independence. They recognize that they need each other. If they're going to survive as believers in the church, they need each other. And, the, and as, I don't want to, those are hard times that they're facing. But there's something glorious about the recognition in the church that we need each other. We, we need to burst the bubble, the illusion of independence, that we don't need each other. We do need each other. We need each other to help each other uh, to grow in faith and to be strengthened in our faith, uh, to, re to receive and to give the grace of God. We need each other. Many gifts, one nest. Now look, uh, this is considered the spiritual gifts passage, and I've done a little diversion technique and said really the thing you need to focus on is the giver, the source. You need to focus on the purpose of gifts, 
I need to focus on unity, doing what's going to create unity in the body, valuing the different gifts and each other. That's where it's at. So what? Hey, the church is God's plan for this age, and every believer is filled with the Spirit and connected to the body and has a part to play. And every part is important and necessary. And as a local church, we can only be everything God wants us to be. We can only be Christ in this community. We can only fully reveal Christ in this community if all the parts uh, are functioning, are contributing to it. Now, I'm so thankful for our church family because a high percentage of you are volunteering, are serving, or are using your gifts in some way in the church or out in the community, being a representative of Christ. So praise the Lord. There, There are some people, though, that maybe are consuming. They're consumers more than contributors. And the challenge of this text is being passive just isn't an option. Now, there are different reasons that people are that way. They've been, maybe been burned by the church, they've had a bad experience, they've been hurt, and, and so they've just kind of, you know, distanced themselves a little bit. Or maybe they're just bored. Or um, maybe they think, well, I don't know, I'm not sure I can serve because I, I got some issues. Okay, can someone who doesn't have issues raise their hand, please? Okay, you're a liar. You know, <laughs> nobody raised their hand, all right? Okay, so we all have issues, you know. If, if, uh, if we waited till we didn't have issues and struggles, then nothing would ever get done, right? Uh, we, that's, not, that's not a reason to stay out and to not use. God doesn't use perfect people. He, we are all struggling in one way or another. And so my encouragement for you is um, uh, to try again. Tr- try again. Try, try again. And the way we discover our gifts Again, it's probably not a spiritual gifts inventory test or quiz, but by just choosing to serve, just taking who you are, submitting it to the Lord, and saying, use me to help strengthen and edify and build up others in the church. How can you do that? And if you're struggling to know how, here are two suggestions, and then we'll be done. One is, uh, join a small group of some kind, a healthy, smaller group, an adult Bible fellowship or a life group, because in that context, there's lots of room and space to serve and to develop your gifts and to participate and to contribute. It's a little hard in this one hour on Sunday morning for everyone to use their spiritual gifts. It's just not going to happen. But in a, in a smaller group, that can happen. And if uh, you're saying, well, I'm j- I just don't even know what's out there, what's possible. We do have a table and some wonderful people in the courtyard who would just love to talk to you. We're not here recruiting or trying to make, give an advertisement. We're just saying, hey, we're here. And if you're like, want to get connected in some way, here, here are some possibilities. We'll just help uh, you to talk with you about that. But ultimately, it's about the giver. And so we want to call upon him one more time, the Holy Spirit. I ask you to stand, and we're going to sing as a prayer. Uh, This song that we sang at the uh, beginning, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us and use us. That's the prayer.